of the Lord, isn't it? To be with God's people. We've come together to worship. We've already sung praises to the Lord. We have lifted our voices in prayer and some excellent prayers that you lifted to God today. As we remember uh, the significance of this day on Remembrance Day. I uh, grew up in a home. Uh, you ever discover your parents' stuff slowly, you know? <laughs> you sort of sneak into their bedrooms and into their trunks and you figure out who are these people who brought me into this world and you try to figure out all that kind of stuff. I remember the day I, I snuck into my father's trunk and uh, I found his Navy uniform and uh, his CB hats. They, they must have issued those sailors a bunch of hats because every one of us kids had a sailor's hat we wore all the time as we ran around the neighborhood or wore our father's hat. And uh, we, I just wore that thing to a rag, and uh, I just thought that was a normal thing. I didn't really think about where it had come from or what he had been through. It was years later that uh, my dad shared more about what he went through in the Pacific uh, during the war. And uh, it wasn't until he was well into his 90s that we finally heard some stories we had never heard before. But people don't share their stories quickly, do they? You have to sort of sneak into their trunks and unpack it and find out what the stories are. And my father shared the story about how we almost never came to be. Uh, he was aboard a Navy ship and had grown deathly ill. Uh, they put him aboard a medical ship in a big bay with a bunch of other men on cots. And that's what happened to a lot of people in the war and in many wars, his sickness killed a lot of men and women. And uh, there he was, aboard ship, very ill, and he was in a cot. And uh, they had uh, already began to write a note to his mother saying that he might not likely make it. And uh, he remembers laying there and a, a group of doctors coming by and talking in hushed tones around him. And, and as they passed on by, one just lingered a little longer and reached out his hand and touched my father and uh, then moved on. It was shortly after that touch that my dad was finally able to get the strength enough to get off the cot and then make his way to the bathrooms, which was a big deal. And when he began to rally and to change and to grow stronger ever since that moment. He didn't know who that doctor was or what it was, but that touch changed everything. He went on and survived the war in the Pacific and came home and went to Anderson College and uh, to study to be a minister. And uh, when he was there, there was a young man uh, by the name of Bill Gaither running around campus, and he had just written a song. They were sharing with everybody, and it was called, He Touched Me. And that meant a lot to my father. Little moments in life, in great moments of conflict, huge events in the world, and yet it's the little things that can change a life. In just a breath of a second, a touch from God, when things are desperate. 
We are involved in wars, and we've been engaged in wars for a very long time, as humanity has always known. We are in a series talking about total war because we recognize the real battle isn't with guns and bayonets and warships. It's fought with spiritual weapons against the enemy of our souls because the battle that really needs to be fought is within us and in within the lives of many other people around us. In this series, we've looked at a variety of uh, topics on this issue as we have moved forward and continue to build our war rooms and as people engage the enemy. And I'm glad to report there is success. People are winning battles, and it's very exciting to know that God actually answers a prayer that is offered up in faith. And things do happen, and great uh, victories can take place. But it means that we must keep pressing and not relax, for the enemy doesn't relax. He has met God's army before, and he will fight on. Today we're going to be looking at the armor of God. And uh, this is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 10 down through 18. This is written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And he writes this at the end of his writing to this wonderful church that he loves so dearly. And he says, finally, he says, it's always good when the preacher says finally, because you know he's going to wrap it up. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Holy Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We've heard already about Remembrance Day being the 100th year of the uh, celebration and the remembering of the sacrifice of those who have gone on before us. And it is important to remember that. The scripture tells us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth in Matthew 5.9. And yet we're warned by Jesus Christ himself that there will always be conflicts there will be wars and rumors of wars. In Matthew 24, 6 through 7, he warns us that this comes. 
Jesus said there is going to be war till the very end of the age, that there will be conflicts and struggles within this world. So we shouldn't be surprised when we see a new one arising. And yet he said there is one great last battle that is yet to be fought that will come. The battle that will end the great struggle between good and evil and the triumph will finally be won. It was H.G. Wells that coined that phrase many years ago at the beginning of World War I. He said, this is the war to end all wars. You ever hear that? And of course it didn't. But there is a war to end all wars. It is that last great battle that is yet to be fought. It is coming. One day the Lord will return. He will come with his angels. He came as a gentle child and he was born in a manger and he died upon a cross. But when he comes again, he won't come as those things. He will come as a warrior. He will come with an army. He will come clothed in the glory of God. And he will defeat evil once and for all. And that war will end all other wars. The conflict will be over. The victory will be won. And that day is coming yet. And yet, until that day, we're ramping up to that great and final day when that battle shall be won. So H.G. Wells was right. There is a war that ends all wars, but it wasn't World War I. It isn't World War II or any other conflict since then. It is a battle that is still being fought here and will be finished one day. But the greatest battle of all is the battle within our hearts, within our minds. And it is a battle we have with God himself when we start out. It's a battle that you want to lose to God. You want him to win it. Where he conquers your soul and becomes Lord of your life. I grew up in, uh, I was born in 1958, and my dad uh, served in the military. Uh, I grew up on John Wayne, anybody know him? <laughs> I grew up um, watching old black and white uh, World War II movies. Uh, my best friend, David Munson, and I, we were on a dairy farm together, and we would uh, call around on pasture fields with our 22s, pretending we were soldiers, and uh, we were also fighting the war. Um, it was just something you did back then. It was something we were used to. We saw all the old films of what our fathers had gone through and their bravery and their courage, even though they didn't talk about it very much. And we wondered what it was like for our fathers. But the battles we fight, the most important ones, are not the ones with uh, guns and rocks and 22s and fighting gophers. It's really fought within, and that's where the courage has to be found, and the battle is won and lost in many cases. There are people who believe that uh, the problem in this world is because of um, social problems, so People only could create problems when they don't have enough money or enough jobs or resources or, or ability to accomplish things in their life. And so we've launched into a social campaign to make sure everyone has everything they need so there would be no reason for conflict. But the scripture tells us something very differently, that conflict is the result of the struggle within us with evil itself, with our own sinful nature. You can uh, give somebody everything they would ever need and still they would have this 
internal battle raging within them. This uh, struggle with all the classic sins that we all know about. And no amount of social engineering will ever solve that. So one of the more modern approaches to overcoming this great battle now is to uh, lower our expectations for ourselves. And I've, I've found that a very interesting method of uh, dealing with the inner conflict. If there is a particular sin or thing you don't like about yourself, all you need to do is to come at peace with it, accept it, celebrate it, and say it's a good thing. And then you don't need to fight it anymore. Uh, I have a weakness for cream puffs. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, do you? Oh, <laughs> big pile of cream puffs. And then Costco has these great big bins of these things that you can buy. And that there's no reasonable reason why I should ever need to buy a Costco-sized <laughs> bin full of cream puffs. But I'm tempted every time I see them. And then I... I have a terrible weakness. For me, that's a metaphor for sin itself, which is I don't need it. I don't have to have it, but boy, do I want it. And I realize that one of the ways that uh, they tell us to overcome the problems in our lives is what you need to do is just come at peace with cream puffs. Just accept them as a good thing. Don't fight it anymore. Just embrace it and love it and and don't let anyone put you down for loving cream puffs. And so I tried that, and, and cream puffs still have power over me. And then I married this beautiful woman over here, and I found out she makes cream puffs. Oh, she makes great cream puffs. Better than Costco cream puffs. And for her to express her love to me is to make me cream puffs. And so she makes cream puffs for me. And so that's what we call enabling. She enables me in my problems. <laughs> you should be surprised I'm this thin at all. Having married her, she feeds me really well. So how do you overcome this struggle within? Do you just swear off with cream puffs and so on? And how do, you, how do you overcome the thing that you feel like has too much power over you? It's a tough struggle. And just coming to peace with it and being at terms with it doesn't seem to solve the problem. It just means it's always there. How do I move beyond the great barriers, you could substitute anything in your life for cream puffs that you want. You just insert that struggle you have. It doesn't matter what it is. We all have them. It's all part of our reality. So this great battle within, I, sometimes I get mad at people because when I share this kind of thing in my testimony, sure enough, the church is a cruel place because someone will go and buy me a box of cream puffs. <laughs> They'll leave it at my doorstep and test my will. Even after I confess my struggle with it, someone will you've put it right in front of me. And I've met a lot of people who have had similar struggles. I've worked with men who have uh, struggled with alcoholism. Uh, I met, a, we pulled out a, one man out from underneath the overpass and he received the Lord. Uh, one of our parishioners was very excited about it and 
had uh, led him up to the point of receiving the sinner's prayer and he had forgotten the sinner's prayer and he had rushed all the way down to the church and pulled me out and said, Pastor, could you finish this off? I've forgotten the sinner's prayer. <laughs> so we prayed with him and he received the Lord. And uh, he was dealing with alcoholism, was trying to get off it and we prayed for him for that as well and we got entered into that struggle. And uh, the enemy is such that he would come home and uh, at his doorstep there would be a case of beer waiting for him. Just no one ever leaves me a case of beer at my doorstep, <laughs> ever. Cream puffs, yes, but never a case of beer. But whatever you're struggling with, that's what the enemy will always place in front of you all the time. And he seems relentless because he realizes that he needs to defeat you. The enemy really does not want you to be victorious in Jesus Christ. He wants you weakened. And he does that uh, by many means that we don't even need to go into. But our stand is in the armor of God. And this is how we make our stand against these temptations and internal struggles within us. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God. The, f the first thing you got to remember about this in verse 10 is be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. So as you've struggled, have you found out that you are a weak-willed person? Any of you weak-willed? Every one of you is weak-willed. It is uh, part of the problem that we have. And uh, usually what we start out is, today I'm going to do better. I resolve to do better. I'm going to be smarter, brighter, stronger, and uh, I'm going to exercise. <laughs> I'm going to get rid of those cream puffs, and sure enough, I've had 10 by the end of the day. And, and it's because I'm not strong enough to take on the enemy. It takes a bit of humility to admit this, that you are not strong enough to take on the enemy of your soul. But it says here to be strong in his mighty power, not in your mighty power, because you just don't have enough. This isn't a self-help program. This isn't where you fix yourself. This isn't 10 steps to recovery because you have enough willpower to do it. It says be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Only the Lord can overcome the enemy of our soul. And we put on the full armor of God, not ours so that you can stand against the devil's schemes, because he's got a lot of schemes that he does, and he applies against us. Our struggle isn't with flesh and blood. So we often uh, look at that and say, well, my struggle isn't with uh, you, because you're flesh and blood. My struggle is with evil itself, and spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. But my also... You know who else has flesh and blood? Me. My struggle isn't with me either. And it isn't with you. My struggle is with spiritual forces. It isn't with me. I'm not the problem and you're not the problem. The problem is a spiritual reality that is, wants to have authority over me. It wants to rule powers of darkness of this world, spiritual forces and the evil of evil in the heavenly realms. What we note about this is that this struggle is about rule. It wants to rule me. 
evil wants to rule me. It wants to have authority over me. It wants to mock me. And if you think back to the great battle, which was the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't it evil that said it had authority over Christ and that Christ had no authority? They mocked him and they scourged him and they made fun of him and they nailed him to the cross. Pilate says, what authority have you got? You have no authority. And Jesus said, no, I have all authority. You couldn't do anything to me unless I allowed it. If I needed a a thousand angel warriors at my side at this very moment, all I have to do is speak it and it would be done. And you have, with all your Roman legions, no authority over me. And if you do anything, it's simply because I allowed. Well, evil doesn't like that. Evil wants you to believe that it has authority over you. Have you ever felt like you've been beaten up and that evil had power over you? And no matter what you do, you couldn't overcome it. It seems stronger than you. It seemed no matter where you turn or whatever you do, it is there. But Paul says, stand firm then. And built with truth buckled around your waist, breastplate of righteousness in place, and with feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and make your stand. How do these things, these armors of God, give me authority? Today we have individuals here dressed in uniform uh, for Remembrance Day. If you are dressed in a uniform, would you please stand? We would like to recognize you. Thank you very much. Thank you, sirs. You may be seated. A uniform is a significant thing. I, I wore my dad's uh, sailor's hat without realizing the significance of the uniform. It was later on that my son entered into the Air Force and uh, got his uh, uh, basic training in, and his uniform has been growing over the years as he achieves different ranks and specialties. Uh, and I've learned to respect and to honor the uniform and the significance of what it means. But what I've also learned is a uniform comes with authority, doesn't it? When you put it on, you aren't representing yourself. When you put on a uniform, who do you represent? You represent the country that gave you that uniform. You are endowed with the responsibility and the authority of that government to carry out the orders given to you and the full weight of that government is behind you in carrying out those orders for protecting, for serving, and for defending. The uniform is respected and honored because it isn't just a uniform, it is authority. When we look at the armor of God, we usually break this passage down. The preacher talks about the helmet of salvation and the breast of righteousness, 
the belt of truth, and he talks about all those things. But let's not look at them as parts, but as a whole. You know ultimately what this is? It's a uniform. It's a uniform that every Christian is issued on the day of salvation that you are clothed in this armor. For righteousness and salvation and faith, these are the gifts of God given to every believer, is it not? And he places it on us. This isn't my stuff, this is his stuff. Any of you remember the story of King David? Um, Before he was a king, um, before he was a warrior, he was a shepherd. He was not well known and wasn't uh, the the best of the boys. He was always left looking after the flock after his older brothers were off to war and to take on the Philistines. And he heard about how the God's army was having a real hard time with Goliath. And he goes down and he has a little shepherd boy and he says, I'll take him on. I'll take Goliath. And they take the king's armor and they try to put it on David. And he's just swimming in this armor. It doesn't fit. But when I'm saved, it's not much different. When I came to Jesus Christ and was forgiven of my sins, Christ put the helmet of salvation on me that was his. A shield of faith. A sword. The word of God. I could barely understand what was in here and he gives it to me to fight with. All these things. When I'm saved, when I first come to Christ, it's like being David and putting in the king's armor and oh my goodness, what do I do with all this? How do I fight with this? What's it all for? You have to grow up into it because it's bigger than you. So much bigger than you. Now, I've been around a few years. I've laid aside my father's uh, Navy hats and I've seen my son uh, go and serve and my daughter-in-law in in Afghanistan and come back and safely returned. I have uh, fought for them in prayer and I have fought for my family in many churches and many people, many places. I still am fighting. And I have learned to use the weapons that God gave me and the shield and the armors that were issued to me on the day of my salvation. I'm still not all 100% sure about how to use the Word of God. I'm still learning. Any of you still learning about the Word of God? Oh, yeah. But I'm also learning every day it's more powerful than I thought it was more effective and sharp and effective in every way. And I grow up into this armor that he has given me. But what I've learned most of all about this armor that the Lord gives you, that the Lord gives me on the day of salvation, is it is a uniform that comes with authority. For I clothe myself in Christ when I am saved. The righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. Salvation was what Christ bought for me. The faith I have is not my own, 
The faith I have is the faith that God gives me. God gives me the courage to believe in things that scare me silly on my own strength. But he gives me the strength to believe in things not seen as if they were. And I don't understand it. It just is. I could tell you many stories about faith and courage and how that all happens, but the point is, is it's a uniform that brings authority. And you have to grow up in it and wear it with authority. But the uniform also comes with a responsibility, a duty given to you by the one who issues you that armor to defend the gospel, to preach it, and to declare it to the world. For it is only when we learn to fight the enemy and to overcome him with these weapons of grace that we'll ever really know true peace in God. You can have peace, but it won't come by personal effort or strength. It comes from resting in what Christ has already done for you, to walk in the grace of Jesus Christ. It is learning to accept that you have a king and that he is in charge and he rules. And it is learning to accept that I really have nothing at all. I surrendered what I had to the cross long ago. I am serving a king who has everything. And I've learned that the more I've held back from him, the worse things get. And the more I surrender to him and put under his authority, clothe it in the armor, and put it under his authority, the more there is in my life. But it's not my stuff, it's his stuff. All of it. There was, uh, we just got back from a trip to uh, southern Oregon where we were celebrating uh, the soon arrival of my second grandchild. Uh, it will be a granddaughter. Little Miss Ellie is coming into this world, well-loved, we had a baby shower, and she was showered with clothes upon clothes upon clothes. There is no way one little girl can wear this many clothes. <laughs> there is? I don't know how it's possible. But little Miss Ellie is just the continuation of a greater war that had been fought. If my father had passed away aboard ship, I wouldn't be here. If I wasn't here, I would have met my wife. And then my children wouldn't be here. And then Miss Ellie wouldn't have been there. When uh, Sandra and I were uh, in Bragg Creek, uh, we didn't have any children. And we wanted children. We went to the doctors and say, why don't we have children? And uh, in Canada, they sent us to infertility clinics, and we were even talking about adoption, as uh, we just couldn't have children for some strange reason. And then we went to a pastor's retreat. I met some uh, wonderful pastors there, and they say, well, we should pray about it. Oh, that's a novel idea. <laughs> okay, you pray. So they started praying. And before we knew it, our first child came along, and I said, well, that only took years and years for one. And then nine months later, our second son arrived, and we were shocked. Two boys. 
maybe that's enough. And then before we knew it, our daughter arrived, and that was three. We rushed back to that prayer retreat and said, please stop praying. (laughs) Three is enough. Life is a series of miracles. And when these children came into our life, I realized they're not mine. They're a gift of God. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve them. I'm simply the steward of them. They belong to God from the very beginning. And so we raised them that way, the stewards of these children. And Ellie will be that too, as my grandson is and others. I have nothing. And yet in Christ I have everything. Amen? And so I put on the full armor, the full authority of Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to be called on to pray again and again, as will you. And I want someone suited up when I call on someone to pray to stand the authority of Jesus Christ, as people have stood in authority for me before the throne, not because they earned it, because God gave it. But a uniform is not for one person. It's for an army. One soldier can be intimidating, but what if we all suited up in the authority of Christ and took our stand together It says in the scripture that Jesus said that most people will hear the gospel and not receive it. That the road to salvation is a narrow road and the road to destruction is very broad. The question is, is who will help those along the way to find that road? (coughs) It will have to be an army like you and I who will put on the full armor of God and in the authority of Jesus speak the gospel fearlessly and not to be afraid of the enemy at all because he cannot harm us because I have nothing to harm. Everything I have belongs to God. So I have nothing to lose for I've lost everything already and I've gained everything as a result. If you're not there, if you don't know that, I invite you to receive Christ and to become a part of this authority, this presence of the kingdom of God on earth. For it is a small group, but it is a strong forward position for the vanguard of God's army is still coming. And one day they will arrive and we will rejoice when they come. Would you stand with me? I want to close with a prayer. Lord, I thank you for my fellow soldiers here, for their bravery. I thank you for the medals of honor that they already wear. They may not even be aware of because they have stood their ground, they have taken on the enemy, and they have seen victory in Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for their dedication. I thank you for their scars, for their struggles, and for their battles. For their encounters with the enemy and the fearful moments when they wondered if you would deliver them, but Lord, you have always been faithful. You have always been there. We pray, Lord, not to spare us 
hardship or struggle or conflict in this world. For Lord, you said uh, we would have it even as you experienced it and that we were to bear it until that last day. As many have borne the conflict with evil before, but we thank you, O Lord, that we can stand in your authority today and claim the power of the cross over our own life and over sin itself, and that we can stand and exercise that authority as long as it is today. For today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we fight. And Lord, uh, we pray that we won't rest on past laurels, but that we will engage in the conflict that is before us right now, knowing that the enemy has not quit, that he knows that your triumphant army is on the horizon and coming. He is desperate. The enemy knows that he is going to lose. And we pray, O oh God, that we will be there to witness that day and to rejoice with those that have been redeemed and those who are saved daily. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. Uh, go in the peace of God and in the strength and the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well,